1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? What is it? It's your new pet. Number one, you gotta keep him out of bright light. Number two, keep him away from water. This is incredible. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Billy, what are these things? Gremlins. How come a cute little guy like this can turn into a thousand ugly monsters? <laughs> that was Mrs. Deagle. I'll bet every kid in America would like to have one. They might even replace the dog as the family pet. Mm -hmm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? Today is the annual Christmas show, and uh, we have a, I guess, 2020 has been a weird year, so we kind of have a strange Christmas movie, at least in my opinion. It's a little strange as a Christmas movie, uh, but on the opposite end from strange, I have Ruth and Darren Sutherland here with me uh, to celebrate Christmas this year. Hey, guys. Hello, happy to be here. Happy holidays. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if we're on the opposite end of strange or not, though. Uh, we're, we're pretty strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, by my standards, you're very, very normal. Uh, so we'll just go with that. <laughs> I, th I think the only strangeness uh, that I can go with is that you guys just lead a fascinating life with various artists and people who you've made acquaintances with who are just real interesting people and... Uh, and, and it, it, it just adds to how interesting you are. Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, that means the world to us. And so do those those people. I know who you mean. So uh, today we're looking at the 1984 movie Gremlins. And I guess the first order of business is 
some people would consider this to be a Christmas movie. Some people consider it to be a movie that just has Christmas in the background of it. Mm. So mm-hmm. what is what is your take on this? I like thinking of this as a Christmas movie because I like the idea of Christmas movies like this. And another one that came to my mind was Die Hard movies that take place at Christmas that aren't really about Christmas. But it gives uh, a lot of nice variety, I think, to the holiday season because you can incorporate those into, you know, when you're watching Babes in Toyland, like we all did before when we watched uh, March of the Wooden Soldiers, and you can uh, you know throw it in with It's a Wonderful Life, and it just adds a lot of variety. So I consider this a Christmas movie. It should have been released at Christmas originally, but I take it as a Christmas movie now. What about you, Ruth? I love the atmosphere of it. I see your point about it not being actually you know Christmas theme focused, but in the background there's the snow, there's Christmas carolers, you know Christmas tree lot, you know some of the the set dressings for that to let you know what time of year it is. And I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. Uh, And yeah, I guess it's not quite so much a Christmas movie only because, you know, or if if you want to make the argument that it's not a Christmas movie, that would be because it doesn't really have a Christmas message. At least Mm. I don't think it does. Mm. Uh, And it's definitely, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but the, you know, the, just the atmosphere of the movie is, is, uh, in my opinion, a little schizophrenic, uh, and, and and we'll we'll talk somewhat about that and, and why I come to that conclusion. But let's let's talk about how how we first experienced this movie, and I recall having gone to see it when it first came out, uh, and there was a theater, you know, a local theater in 1984. You know, the multiplexes weren't what they are now, uh, but this was a theater that had two movies showing at once. And one of the theaters was larger than the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to see it. Gremlins was playing in the larger theater. And then a couple of days later, some friends and I went to see the Pope of Greenwich Village, which was in the smaller mm. theater. But it was sold out, so we went to see Gremlins again. <laughs> so I saw it like twice in, in like about a week. Wow. <laughs> we... um. We were dating at the time this movie came out originally, so we went and saw it together. It's funny. I don't remember if we saw it in Wise or Coburn. I don't know which theater, but yeah. I do remember going, and I still have a you know personal nostalgia for it that's lasted a long time. And I have a very vivid memory of a younger brother who ended up getting a toy you know, uh, plushie of Gizmo, and I just thought it was so cute. Yeah, it's, well, Giz- it's interesting. Gizmo was the reigning cute plushy until baby yoda came along last year <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right <laughs> and our theater experience though was very similar to yours i know we were trying to remember was it wiser coburn and the only difference there is that there there wasn't a theater in the town where we lived and the two closest ones one had two screens and the other one had three so very similar to what you were experiencing you know usually one larger screen and then a smaller one or two with them so that's where we would have seen it. Now, I don't remember if this came out before or after Twilight Zone, the movie. I suspect it was after. Uh, so that would have been my, if assuming I'm right and that was after, I guess that would have been my first experience with Joe Dante as a director. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he did the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Yep. In the it's Twilight stuck on Zone Gremlins. Movie. Yes, yeah, it's very true. I didn't even think about that. Uh, 
and, and just I, you know, just to go into this this movie a little bit, clearly he had like a vision for what he was going to do, uh, and and I'm seeing like when I say it's schizophrenic, I'm seeing some you know several different things. I'm seeing a, a, a love of movies because there's a lot of little clips from old movies in this thing, so mm-hmm. you you know you get in that nostalgia angle. I'm seeing a, ch- a children's fantasy with with Gizmo and the Gremlins and all of that that's going on. Uh, but I'm also seeing a really, really dark side to this mm-hmm. movie also with, you know, what the, what's, uh, Stripe and the other gremlins do during the movie. And mm-hmm. in particular, and I got to say, I think it's probably the most controversial thing in the movie, the mm-hmm. story that Phoebe Cates tells about mm-hmm. her father, uh, her father's death. Right. Uh, and it, to me that, I, I, you know, I know that there was some debate over whether that scene should be in the movie when when it was in production, mm-hmm. and I got to say, I probably would have fallen on the argument of saying, yeah, it shouldn't be in there because I think it it is a little bit of a mood killer for me. It, I agree so much with what you're saying on that because you're you're right. I know too. You know, behind the scenes, Joe Dante was just very insistent that he wanted it in there. Steven Spielberg did not want it in there, but he knew as a director himself, the director is in charge. So he sort of deferred to Joe Dante, but he didn't want it there either. I'm like you. I sort of feel that it's a bit of a unnecessary bit of darkness. I sort of like the rest of the darkness in the movie, but that seems a bit heavy handed. What were you thinking, Ruth? I would have left that exact story out out of the film about her dad, but I still like and would have had them go ahead and acknowledge that not everyone is happy at the holidays. You know, some people are depressed, they're out of work. You know, I thought that was an interesting kind Mm -hmm. of message to lay out there, but I just wouldn't have gone as far as, as that tragedy being shared. Yeah. That tragedy. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think you could have presented that other point of view that there's some people who just are not going to be, you know, they're not, it's that the holidays aren't going to raise some people's spirits, but just the same, I think you could have been a little bit more creative and come up with something just not quite as dark as that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And we, you know, we, we have, I think we have a pretty interesting cast here. Oh, gosh. Uh, and, yes. and according to, like, the way Wikipedia presents it, and, you know, we always have to take everything from Wikipedia <laughs> with somewhat of a grain of salt, but it almost sounded like they cast Phoebe Cates first. Yeah, and then came up with Zach Galligan, and that he was uh, cast in the role despite being an un- unknown because he showed such chemistry with her. Isn't that interesting? I, they really do have some good chemistry together. They're very believable. I think they're natural with each other. So you know, whoever it was, whether that was Spielberg or Dante or you know, casting director, whoever it might have been. They really did mesh well together. And and you're right. I remember there being a lot of, you know, sort of controversy over Phoebe Cates being cast. But, you know, she's perfect in this movie. But, you know, she's pretty much perfect in most of the things she does. Uh, uh, she didn't do a lot, but what she well, did I, is all I, good. I guess the controversy was more or less that she had been in some, uh, you know, sexualized roles. Yeah. Uh, Fast, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I think, yeah. I think the movie Paradise predates this also. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she... Despite that, she has kind of that girl next door look, you know, her her facial features and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know that that I think she could fit the role for this easily, and I, I really don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I think maybe the the concern over casting her was probably overblown, and I think it's Absolutely. borne out by the movie itself. Yeah. I I agree. I'm a I'm a fan of hers. I thought she did a great job in the role, and I always remember enjoying her performance in Princess Caribou. Yeah, that's one of your favorites with her. Yeah, I always remember that. So now. Uh, Hoyt Axton, who plays uh, <laughs> Billy's dad, you, you know what he's famous for, right? <laughs> Country music. Yeah, he, he he well, in particular, he wrote uh, the song "Joy to the World" that Three Dog Night plays. It oh, and I love Three Dog Night, and I. I in my former life I was a country music DJ for three and a half years, so I oh, had wow. plenty of experience with Hoyt Axton. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I mean you don't I don't think I don't think he had much of a film career, but I thought he fit the role in this movie very well. Oh, absolutely! Like his, you know, his voice and narration, and yeah, you know, just had to love him and his inventions. Yeah, his sense of humor. I mean, he just. He's got this sort of deadpan way of being funny. Uh, like I remember the scene of him at the at the uh, inventors convention, and he just said, "Yeah, something along the lines of, yeah, the competition here is a bit more stiff than I expected." <laughs> like, mm. oh, he yes, just delivers yes. lines like that perfectly. <laughs> so now uh, I was just looking. He was born in 1938, so that would have made him about 46 when this movie came out. Okay. Uh, which I, I, I don't know. I, I would have thought he was a little older than that from mm, his mm. appearance. But, uh, mm. you know, we, we also have Polly Holiday, who is most famous for being Flo on the show Alice mm-hmm. uh, in, in the uh, Wicked Witch of the West role. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Clearly like borrowing from The Wizard of Oz. It is. It's such a good um, sort of a, an amalgamation of the Wicked Witch and Scrooge, maybe sort of both together mm. in one. and. And, of course, it brought nostalgia up for me because my mother loved the TV show Alice. So I was like, oh, there's Flo. And it's just like, you know, brought back memories of, you know, my mom would always watch Alice. And we only had one TV, so that meant the rest of us watched Alice, too. <laughs> it was it was a, a fairly easy show to watch, you know, no, nothing too yeah. deep. And, you know, typical 70s sitcom type thing. Right, right. Uh, we had, uh, in, in an interesting, very small part, but Judge Reinhold, who, uh, you know, has the connection to Phoebe Cates from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I forgot about that. I think somebody who's kind of like a favorite of everybody uh, is Dick Miller. And he was an interesting character in this movie, I thought, because he's clearly... Express, he's, he's almost got the Archie Bunker attitude. Uh, yeah. You know, he's constantly railing against anything that's not American and all of that. But despite the, you know, the fact that that is somewhat dated by today's standards, he plays a very likable character anyway. It's yes. almost like it's almost like you could just look beyond the, uh, you know, the 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 closed-mindedness of the character and see what's beyond that and and he becomes somebody who you can root for uh <laughs> you know and it, not necessarily in his views but certainly in his just his his battle against gremlins on his own front <laughs> somebody who i didn't realize was even in this movie until i did a rewatch for uh for the purposes of today's show is uh jonathan banks 
you nailed the same one I did. I, I had that same reaction when he showed up. It's like, oh wow, I forgot Jonathan Banks was in this. Yeah, I mean, I've, I I was familiar with Jonathan Banks because he was he was always a, a that guy for me. Somebody who you know you, you see him and you you know you've seen him many times before, but. <laughs> never really stood out all that much. You know, I remembered mm-hmm. him from 48 Hours and from Beverly Hills Cop and all of that. But he became somebody who I became a fan of once he showed up on Breaking Bad. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I yeah. personally, I thought he was the best character on that show. Yeah, it's nice when an actor, like you said, a character actor who we all sort of are used to seeing is that guy, just like you said. Uh, and then it's nice to see someone be able to get a, a break like that and later in their career. That's fabulous. And the movie also had a couple of cameo appearances. And I can't say I actually noticed these people when I was watching it, but Steven Spielberg makes a quick appearance. Jerry Goldsmith makes an appearance. Chuck mm-hmm. Jones makes an appearance. And that one to me is just, I find that to be very amusing because this plays almost like a live action Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> Yes, that's a good <laughs> point. Chuck I Jones in there, it just seems like really fitting to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned that connection. How nice. So, what do you guys think about? Oh, oh, sorry, you, go on. You had something to add? Oh, I was just. I, I was hoping you were going to mention one more member of the cast. Oh, please do. Key Luke. Oh yes. <laughs> now, I, I guess. I guess the key thing for him is uh, Big Trouble in Little China. It's, what else would we, we go to for him? We are longtime fans of him. He uh, he is in the TV series Kung Fu, which is a favorite of Ruth. Oh, oh yes, yes. yes. Longtime fan. Yeah, she loves That's that TV Pope. show. So, yeah, he, he's fabulous in it. And we're also fans of the Charlie Chan movies. And he is number one son in the Charlie Chan movies, uh, which he was always a proponent of those movies and always spoke highly of them. I know they're. Uh, on some levels, controversial um, in more modern times, but he was always very, very positive about the you know experience and opportunities he got because of those. Uh, yeah, we just love Key Luke and everything that we get to see him in. And this is one of the f- funny things that I read is he was 80 years old when they made this movie, and yet they felt he still looked too young, so they had to put makeup on him to make <laughs> him look older. So he just <laughs> just, just I, I quickly. Uh touched on his Wikipedia page and I, I think it's interesting he uh, he was scheduled to play Dr. Noonien Soong in Star Trek The Next Generation Wow! but he was wow. ill and wasn't able to do it and then he you know he was also in uh, Whom Gods Destroy in the uh, original series so he has he a Star is. Trek connection how nice he's he's amazing yeah wonderful wonderful thing and he does a lot with his you know he's almost sort of a cameo very small uh scenes in the opening and ending but yeah we are, but, we're but big a fans. key role yes that's certainly a, a big part now was he in, did i make a mistake was he not in big trouble in little china i thought he was you know i love big trouble in little china and i i honestly don't know and i'm looking uh, at his his filmography and i'm not that, seeing that so maybe i'm maybe i'm mistaken is it james hong that's in big trouble in little china maybe yeah you you know what you know better than i do <laughs> I'm so, going def- to defer well. to you on that. <laughs> uh, so I, I was curious what you guys think about the uh, the special effects in this movie because you know this this 
if this movie was made today, there'd be a lot of CGI in there. Uh, and personally, I'm thinking it would have been a different movie. And I'm curious whether you think it would have been a better movie or a worse movie. I, I love puppets and, you know, real world effects. So for me, it resonated really well. You know, I could believe the gremlins and gizmo and it came across, you know, very well for me. I agree. I mean, this to me, I love seeing the, the puppet work in this because I think the emotion, uh, the character comes through. Uh, just unbelievably well. I'm really happy that they went that route, and uh, I think it comes off really great. But we're big fans, like Ruth said. I mean, I can remember we were big fans of the TV series Farscape, and some people wouldn't watch it because, you know, the Jim Henson company did all of the aliens. But the thing is, is those were amazing puppets, and they just looked spectacular. And it's, I think the puppets here are amazing and, and do a great job. Mm, I, I do think I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, that I think the puppets, that they did a good job with them, and they exhibit, where where needed, they exhibit personality. Gizmo exhibits personality, and Stripe exhibits personality. Yes. Uh, you know, all, all the others are just kind of interchangeable, yeah. right. but the others aren't meant to have individual roles, so to speak. Right. Uh, and I, I have to give some credit to the... Uh, to the voice characterizations in particular, Howie Mandel did Gizmo's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, voice. And I, I think, you know, that added to the cuteness level of the yes. character and, and, you know, made him more uh, likable, uh, you know, to watch. The movie, like I said, I do think there was a little bit of schizophrenia here because we went from dark to, to cute to dark again. Uh, and, and it jumps back and forth a lot. And, you know, most of the cuteness is with Gizmo, but even... In some of, in some cases, even the gremlins, when even when they're in the evil mode, uh, display a certain amount of cuteness. In particular, mm -hmm. the thing that jumps out at me all the time is that they're watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and they're <laughs> loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, yeah, it, I, I agree. They're they're still cute for the most part, even when they're being a little devilish. Um, but then, then, then they go a little bit too far, like you said. It it is a bit schizophrenic. I hadn't thought of that word, but it fits. But we well, have, you I, know, I do like the the earlier reference to cartoons. So like the cartoon silliness and you know over the top things that can happen in the cartoon world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we and we we have that. You know, and and there's a lot of that stuff with you know the the gremlins taking on different types of characterizations. Uh, again, the one that jumps out at me now with that is that they had uh, a little parody of Flashdance with one of the gremlins. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> thing, things like that in there that you know clearly are meant to make you laugh, but then you you <laughs> counteract that with some some serious violence. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. when when Billy's mother puts the gremlin into the microwave and has it explode, mm -hmm. uh, or or when the, the the gremlin is on top of the mom, you know, clawing away at it, and Billy uh, mm -hmm. chops off its head with a uh, samurai uh, katana, yeah. you know that that's that's some major violence and all, and I guess that is why this, along with uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, are cited as the reason why we eventually got PG-13 as a uh, rating. Yeah. 
and and very much needed. I mean, this movie and Indiana Jones just mentioned shouldn't be seen by younger kids, but they're certainly not R-rated material. So yeah, it's very appropriate to have done that. And and you're right, you know, like that sequence with the mother. It's honestly, you know, maybe my favorite sequence in the entire film because the mother is just she's strong and fierce, and you know, she just you know takes care of one right after the other. And I really like that sequence. But at the same time, there's nothing sort of family friendly about that sequence. Yeah, well, it, to me, it's, you know, what would you say the appropriate youngest age is for this movie? Uh, what would you say, Ruth? Uh, let's go with that PG-13. <laughs> I was, <laughs> was going to so say, I, like... I might say 11 or 12. Uh-huh. Uh, I probably yeah, really I'm wouldn't. in the same range because I was thinking somewhere between 10 and 12. Yeah. And of course, you know that, that's always something where you have to judge your own children and what their, right. you know, personal uh, personalities will allow for. Some kids have nightmares. Some kids just, you know, let it roll off their back with no problem at all. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, at, I don't know. I think I was six or seven when I was watching Planet of the Apes. So I, I think uh-huh. I could have handled this one without a problem as a fairly yeah. young kid. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, we we have a couple of action sequences in here. Uh, what what did you think, or you know, if you can remember back to when you first saw it, uh, what did you think about like the whole, you know, there's the three rules you have to follow them, and then seeing you know you know you're going to see all three of the rules defined. <laughs> right. So you know how did how did that all fall with you guys you know was that did that seem like too cliche or you know did it did it fall nicely for you i think it went well but there's so many kind of parodies of storytelling and bits throughout the film so if something did seem a bit like a fairy tale or uh, a horror story you know again just kind of bouncing around to different topics it seemed to fit for me for what the movie was doing I at least liked the fact that the father, even though he seems to be dismissive of the rules the first time he hears them, he remembers to pass them on. So I appreciated that and appreciated that Billy intended and tried to stick to the rules. Uh, So I I liked that aspect of it. At the same time, I sort of felt the the rules all fell really quickly. So it's like, but they've got to get on with the movie, but they they go pretty fast. (laughs) Well, the the water, they're not getting them wet one. Uh, was was pure carelessness. <laughs> uh, you know that that's that's just you know totally uh, disregarding the rule almost to have a thing of water right by the gremlin, uh, the Mogwai, uh, when he's sitting there. Uh, the feeding them after midnight. Well, they tricked him into doing that, so that one's not right. so bad. But they were constantly walking Gizmo into bright light, and he'd have to yell out and sing that one. So, so they they didn't really do a very good job of paying attention to the rules, uh, you know. But a lot of responsibility, yes. Yes, and, and as Key Luke said, they weren't quite ready for it yet. Uh, you know, we were, t- we were talking about some of the darkness of the movie. Uh, they originally in the script had the Gremlins kill Billy's dog mm. and his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, Bill, when that, Billy came into the house, the plan was the, that her her head was going to be rolling down the stairs. Oh my! I'm so glad they didn't go that yeah. direction. Yeah, that would have gone. That would have been way too far. I wouldn't have been able to enjoy it. 
yeah, I, I think that's. I think they made a good choice on that one. Like I said, <laughs> I, the only other thing I would have done was I would have taken out the uh, the father dying in the, the chimney thing. Uh, right, right. But other than that, I think they made good choices with how to go with this. And and the schizophrenia that I described, I not only accept, but I almost enjoy that that it's mm-hmm. going back and forth and that it's giving us a whole, you know, a lot of different things going on at once. That it, you know, it, it increases the pace of the movie in my in my mind. I agree completely. And just like you were mentioning with the Chuck Jones connection earlier, because, you know, that's the way this feels. It feels like more like a live action cartoon than, for instance, the villain did, which was supposed to be a live action. You know, they build it as a live action cartoon, but this was this one really feels like it. So all that said, uh, any other things on this movie, any other notes that you guys had? Oh, I would just along the lines of it's filled with so much variety. It really impressed me how many jokes and things there were to catch and find. So sometimes it was something that happened in the background that they had to go to a lot of trouble to arrange and coordinate or just something that you hear them playing on the radio. Like at one point when, you know, madness is striking the town, there's a reference to uh, people thinking it was similar to Orwell's uh, War of the Worlds um, mm. on playing on the radio. And and to me, I'm I'm a big fan of parodies and uh, sort of homages and in jokes. You know, I love the airplane movies and the Police Squad TV series and even Get Smart. We've been rewatching the old Get Smart TV series because it's its 55th anniversary. So I love those types of things. And there's so much of that of those things in this movie. Like I love seeing Robbie the robot from forbidden planet. And we, you know, we both just laughed out loud at the time machine that's in the background and then it vanishes, you know, in the background, you know, it's, like <laughs> it's traveled back in time. Those are just the things that, you know, they're, they're not in the foreground. They're not part of the plot, but they're there to make sure that you're entertained constantly because there's so much going on and it makes the movie fun. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of layers to it. Yeah. yeah, and like I was saying, that there is definitely a uh, uh, tribute to old movies in there. You know, we get we, you know, what you just mentioned. Plus, we get scenes from "It's a Wonderful Life" and mm. "Invasion of the Body Snatchers." Mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate that Billy's mom, when he asked what she was watching, uh, she said something to the effect of like a terrible Christmas movie or something like that. When you know, when you factor in that "It's a Wonderful Life" is like one of my all-time favorites. Oh gosh, yeah, absolutely is. So I, so I really I didn't appreciate her, her, uh, her critique of it, but uh, you know, mm. but that's okay. You know, different minds can differ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that one was wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know she she's entitled to her own opinion, even if she's wrong. <laughs> so, where do you think this one falls on the scale, guys? Oh, I'm going to give it Jaws because I will say I was thoroughly entertained uh, from the amazing wacky inventions that the dad had from the like self-hammering hammer and the egg cracking machine. I just loved seeing what was going on in the kitchen and I felt that the mom was so indulgent and caring um, of being able to handle all of those crazy inventions in the house that, you know, they might work the first time or two, but then they go berserk. Uh, But that to the action, the humor, all of the things in the background. So it really hits the jaws mark for me. And I'd certainly have a nostalgic factor 
with it as well from seeing it in the 80s and kind of the time period that I still, you know, connect with and can resonate with today. So lots to enjoy at different levels for me. And for me, it's just interesting, Paul, because uh, I thought it was so funny when you or coincidental, maybe when you reached out to us and asked us about this, because Ruth and I, we haven't seen this movie in years and years. And we had just mentioned to each other a few weeks ago that, oh, you know, it's been so long since we've seen Gremlins. Let's rewatch that for Christmas this year. So we were planning to. And then you reached out and said, hey, would you guys be interested in talking about Gremlins? And we thought, oh, you know, this is just perfect. And uh, I felt I remembered the movie really well. And my memory, I would have said, uh, well, this isn't this movie doesn't hit the level of Jaws. It's Jaws 2 because it's a really good, solid movie, good fun, but it you know, just doesn't hit those heights. And in rewatching it, it was interesting because it was all of that stuff sort of going on in the background or the little sort of witty asides uh, and the cameos and sort of in-jokes. And I looked at how unique it is because there have been so many movies that have copied it since then. And it's sort of all that stuff was going on in the back of my head. And, you know, maybe it's because I'm in a, you know, a, a giving generous mood because of the Christmas holiday. But as I was watching it, I thought, you know, this is better. I always remembered liking it, but this is even better than I remembered. So I'm, I'm going to tick the scale up one because of all those nice little homages and in jokes and shout outs to geeks like us that I think tips it over there. And I'm going to say, yeah, I'll give it Jaws, you know, because it's really a good, fun Christmas movie. See, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything you both say. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I really do think, you know, for the most part, I don't think this movie fails on any level, uh, with the exception of the one thing that we said we would have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know what exactly about it is maybe it just doesn't have quite enough weight for me or whatever because what i'm doing is i'm just putting it as a as a high jaws two in my mind uh so i'm just you... doing it a tick below where you guys are but i think you know it, it's a very solid movie and i don't think I, you know I, I don't think that you would be disappointed in it in any, any at any level unless you're just somebody who needs a serious movie to be <laughs> right I think you hit it exactly right, though, Paul, because that's really if it wasn't for those sort of little like I'm, I almost would call them bonus or extras that that sort of gives it the little bit of a plus on my side, because otherwise I think I feel exactly the same way about it that you do, which is it's a really good, solid, entertaining film. But you mentioned the word weight, which I think is right, because it doesn't have that sort of resonance. But I, I think it's all those other little fun uh, homages and in-jokes that just delighted me as I rewatched it. That just made me think, ah, this was even more fun than I remembered it being. And I remembered it being fun. Sure. No, definitely. Uh, I think I think it would have gotten that slight tick up to Jaws. And that's all it would take is a slight tick if it had left me with more of a Christmas feeling when it was over. Uh huh. Uh huh. Now, yeah. it's been – I've only seen Gremlins, the new batch, once. Uh-huh. And I, I remember being a little underwhelmed by that, but I think I'm going to have to give that a, another viewing because I've heard people with very high opinions of that movie and that the, the satire in it was very biting and, and uh, amusing. So I think I have to give that another shot. You, uh, you remember just like me, and Ruth and I – 
because of rewatching this first one, we now want to rewatch the second one, but we were not letting ourselves rewatch it before we talked because we didn't want to get the two confused. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're I, like, oh, we're, we're saving it for that. after. But um, but that's what I remember too. I remember just like you, which I remember liking the sequel, but thinking uh, they didn't do anything new, and I didn't, you know, feel the love for it. So I sort of remember this sequel being a little bit lower too. It was interesting to me to see, you know, this movie, the first movie is pretty much critically liked, but there are a handful of critics, including Leonard Malton, who did not like the first one, but then liked the second one more. So it's interesting to see. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's supposed to be a bit more farcical and humorous. So It'll be interesting to see. So we'll have to revisit that and uh, let each other know what we think of it after we rewatch the second one. Yeah, I, I think I think we uh, I think we can find time to discuss this one. So you know, to to visit that one and and give a review on that down the line. <laughs> and so, of course, so Chris when you Columbus watch, it, take is, some notes. <laughs> we'll take some notes. And of course, Chris Columbus has been. Uh, you know, shopping a script for Gremlins three around for about five years now, so he's still trying to get it made. Oh, interesting. I hadn't heard that. So I guess that will do it for our Christmas episode for this year. Uh, Merry Christmas, Ruth, Ruth and Darren. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm gonna pimp for you and tell everybody that you need to uh, subscribe to the Rad Network, Ruth and Darren. Yay. Uh, and, and listen to their uh, their podcasts on various things, including uh, the work of Ron Randall, the wor work of Mike Grell, two of the famous people who they are friendly with, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, what, what I'm trying to think what else there was besides those two. Uh, Mark Schultz, Xenozoic Tells. That's it. Okay. So everybody should be listening to all of those in addition to Is It Yours? So. Uh, absolutely. Definitely listen to Is It Jaws and us. <laughs> so we'll see you in two weeks, everybody. And thank you guys for coming on once again. Thanks so much. Bye. What is it? Mogwai. What's he doing? Singing. He does that sometimes. I gotta have him. He's incredible. Tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a hundred dollars for him. No. Look, I've gotta have him. It's a present for my son for Christmas. It's exactly what I've been looking for, and I've been everywhere. I'll give you two hundred dollars. That's two hundred dollars. I'm sorry. Mogwai, not for sale. I thought you said everything at your grandfather's store was for sale. Grandfather! With Mokwai comes much responsibility. I cannot sell him at any price. Wait outside a moment. I'll be right out. Just go. Mister, here it is. Oh, right. What about your grandfather? Forget what he said. He's crazy. We need the money. Now, come on. You want it or not? I want it. <laughs>